If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out GuardianVets.com now. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We're going to hit our sponsors here in just a second, then jump into the episode. But before we do, make sure you stick around throughout the end of the interview and check out the show notes for great opportunities for associateships, partnerships, and more. If you're a practice owner, you want to find great people, and you want to list a job opportunity or just looking for certain things that your peers out there that are veterinarians could benefit from, feel free to shoot me an email. Isaiah at veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. I will do my best to get those up at the end of different episodes. There's no charge for that. My role, my job is to connect good people with good people. So with that, we will hit our sponsors and be right into the interview. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with offer first. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. If you want to learn more, listen to episode 179 with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast. So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes. Use VSP if you go directly to offer first, but I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote. Your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit, better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay. So Link in the show notes is going to take you to offer first. It's going to automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to offer first directly. And offer first is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it. So check them out today. All right. So today I am joined by Dr. Jennifer Edwards. And Dr. Edwards is passionate about helping her peers within veterinary medicine find happiness as others have helped her. And she's been an associate, practice owner, 
work relief. So the whole gamut of clinical veterinary medicine, you've done it, which is really cool. And too many credentials for me to list. It would take a little while and cut into our conversation in regards to coaching, leadership, and kind of like energy management. And last but not least, serves as the chair of the wellness committee for NH Veterinary Medical Association. Jennifer, thanks for coming on to the show and looking forward to our conversation. Yes. Thank you for having me. I think the best place to start is you've done a lot in veterinary medicine. What is the aspect of that professional career and part of your life that you've loved the most? What is it that it's like, this is the thing I love about veterinary medicine? Oh boy, there's so many things and it's been such a long road. I think the biggest part of my career that has been fulfilling, I mean, there's the technical aspects of surgeries I like or don't like. I love dentistry and and all of that, but really it comes down to having the experience of making a difference and making a difference for an animal, making a difference for a client. And with that also making a difference for employees that I've had in the past or coworkers that I have now. And when you walk away and you know that a life has been touched and is better for your having been there, it's a really good feeling. Yeah. And I think that can get lost of like just how important and crucial the role of a veteran is. And like, The amount of, A, I talk about this lots, the amount of different things that you all can do is just mind blowing. Like you think about it. So many people are like specialists on the human side of like this one thing. And it's like within veterinary medicine, like you need to just be really proficient at everything. So just like go be perfect. And there's no human that can do all of that at such a high level. And it is so challenging. And I think that's a piece of respect that I have for veterinarians that I, if I never kind of ventured into this world, would ever understand in the same way. And I think a lot of consumers just, have no idea. I think it's really interesting to hear that. First of all, thank you for acknowledging that because it's very true. And I think, in my opinion, that is a part of what is leading into the difficulties the profession is having right now. There is an expectation of really an unreasonable amount of not just knowledge, but skill, right? We don't just have to know and understand. We have to do the surgery, the dentistry, the procedures, the chest tube in an emergency, like everything. And I think most people out there really don't have a clue and then think that's part of the problem. Yeah. One thing that we chatted on and I said it and you kind of corrected me and I was like, oh, that's really good. Work-life balance. It's -hmm. a term that you don't necessarily love. Unpack why and why maybe we should reframe thinking about that things that way. Well, I guess there's a lot of terms out there that don't really resonate with me. It doesn't make them wrong. It's not wrong to use that term. But When I think about that term work-life balance, the first thing that comes to my mind is what does that even mean, right? When I think of the term balance, I think of two things that we want to be equal. You're balancing this with that and they would be relatively equal. Well, first of all, when I think of our lives, I think of it more of a holistic approach and there are multiple aspects to our lives. Our work is one part of our life. So To me, it's not that we take all of our life, excluding work, and lump it into a bucket, and then you have work in the other bucket, and you need to balance them out. So when we look at our lives from more of a holistic approach and a kind of a macro view, like bird's eye looking down at our life, you've got your relationships, friends, family, coworkers, you've got health, you've got your finances, you've got your career, hobbies, fun it goes on. There can be pets. You know, it's different for all of us. And work or careers 
are one spoke in that wheel. And so for me, I feel like there's really no balance and there's no right proportion, right? So for you, you may have your career and you work 35 hours a week and that's all you want and you spend a ton of time with your children and that's great. And then a person over here works 70 hours a week because they love it and they're passionate and they're not burned out and they get up and they're excited every day. Great. And that's not wrong either. And so there really is no right balance. There's no right proportion. It's what is right for you? What do you want your life to look like as far as the percentage of your life spent in these different areas? Well, and I think the other thing with work-life balance is it equates that things will always be the same and rarely is life stagnant, right? Like you're going to have seasons where things change and all of a sudden, maybe it's a lot more family time. Like there's lots of cases where people move back home and put their career on hold because of an ailing parent that is going to go and pass because of cancer or something, right? I've heard that so many different times. And that's a season where you have to say like, there's not going to be a balance there. You're going to take a step back. And maybe because they worked the 70 hour weeks for a handful of years, they were able to like build up the financial cushion to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important for people to, to realize as well. Like it's going to shift and change as your life adjusts and changes as well. Right. And then with this concept of work-life balance, there's an implication that when it's not in balance, whatever that means, that it's somehow wrong or bad. And it's not, it's just really all about choices. And so in your example, if that person is making a conscious choice that they are going to put their career on hold or work less and go help a parent, that's great. That's what's working for them. It's not wrong or bad. It's what they're choosing. And you've talked about that with some of the content videos, just things that you've done is like getting to a place where you have the ability to make the choices that you want to make versus this like work-life balance. Can you kind of, I guess, give us a big overarching view of that? And then we can kind of unpack little layers as we want to. Yeah. So the idea of getting to a place of choice. At the end of the day, really, everything we do in our lives is a choice. Being here right now with you, our moods, our attitudes, Everything, time with family, time with work, everything is a choice. Very often, especially the way we are raised, it does not occur to us that way. We live inside of a lot of have tos. I have to go to work. I have to do this. I have to do that. When the reality is, is you don't actually have to do anything. There are consequences to our choices, right? Like you could say, well, I have to pay my taxes. Well, no, you don't really. You might go to jail, <laughs> but yeah. you don't have to pay your taxes. Personally, I choose to not go to jail and I choose to contribute to society. So therefore I pay them, but that's still a choice. And on the surface, one might you know, roll their eyes and go, yeah, whatever. But it's an important concept because when we don't perceive that we have choices, we start to experience a loss of power and we start to experience being stuck. And then we go into being a little bit of a victim in our lives and we're powerless and people are not happy. And then 10 years later, they're still not happy because they don't perceive that they have a choice. It also, when you realize everything is a choice, even if you're choosing to not change something that is not making you happy. So for example, if a doctor is at a practice, they're not happy there. Or like, I'm stuck. There's nothing I can do. Knowing 
really that every day they are choosing to go there because they are, it grabs a little bit of their power back. You know, I don't like it here. And because I want this money right now, I am choosing to go there. There's an empowerment to that. And tomorrow they might choose not to. Tomorrow they might choose to look for someplace else. But the idea of realizing that we are at choice, I think, is a very important concept for people to at least the beginning steps of creating their lives, how they want them to be. Yeah. So let's say someone is like, well, these choices are outside of my control for X, Y, Z reason. How would you help them think through that to kind of realign it? Because I think I personally probably agree much more with you, but I hear this like, well, it's because X, Y, Z, or it is this idea of the responsibility lies elsewhere versus looking at it internally and saying, you know what, ultimately it does fall on my shoulders. Yeah. When it comes down to our lives, just a blanket statement, we create our lives. There's a concept I'm sure everybody's heard of, you know, being a victim. And there's the extreme, like, oh, poor me, poor me. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a victim mentality. And there are three things that will clue a person in to that they are being a victim. One is if they are shaming. The concept of shame is basically self-blame. If they are blaming someone else or something else, or they are complaining. None of those are wrong. There's no reason a person has to not do any of those if that's what makes them feel good. We all do it. However, those three things, anytime they're present, indicates a person is being a victim. A different way of saying that, I don't love that term. A different way of saying is that they are not taking 100% responsibility for their lives. I am a huge believer in this idea that we are the cause in the matter of our own lives. And when we can choose from a powerful place, not from a burden, but when we make the choice to be 100% responsible for every aspect of our lives, we have the ability to no longer be at the cause of, fill in the blank, the circumstance, the person, the environment. And like I said, we can then be responsible for, you know what, that thing is making me miserable and I'm going to keep it in my life for right now because it's working because I need that money or because for whatever reason. But the ultimate key to reclaiming power and to creating our lives is to start with just embracing this idea that we are 100% responsible. Even in a relationship, people say, well, it's 50-50. And I would say, no, it's not. I am 100% responsible for myself in my relationship. I'm not 50% responsible. Now, they are 100% responsible for how they show up. But again, that's blaming. I can only look here. It doesn't mean that everything's my fault. It's just that when things are not working, I say, hmm, where can I be responsible? There's always, always a place. Yeah. Anything you're willing to share from your personal life that this clicked or changed? Because I think the conversation and the topic is one that I think people can, if they are intellectually honest, will find spots like, oh yeah, 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 I did do that. But I don't know if you have anything you'd be willing to share because I think it is interesting. I have a million things that, that apply in my life because this is how I have learned to live my life 
when I first was introduced to this concept, probably back in about 2008, when I started my study of transformation and self-development. And I remember it's very difficult to embrace. It's not how we're raised. And I remember I was like, so it's all my fault. So everything she's doing is just okay. <laughs> like I just didn't get it. And then little by little, I was like, oh, okay. So I do really apply it everywhere. I mean, it was constant when I was a practice owner. So I can remember one time I'd been frustrated with some employees that, or one in particular, that wasn't necessarily doing her job, wasn't showing up, wasn't doing as she was asked, you know, the whole thing. And it was very frustrating. And again, it was like, oh, she's this and she's that. And I was going down that little rabbit hole of blaming, complaining. And, you know, when I catch myself doing that, I say, okay, where can I be responsible? And as an owner, what I used to then, as this progressed in my mind is I'd say, okay, I have my check boxes on my side of the fence. Everything from the fence over towards me is where I can be responsible. And so before I would then judge somebody as, oh, they don't work out, they're not a fit, I would make sure all my boxes were checked. Do they have all of the training that they need? If we've explained it twice, do they need it four times? Have I really truly done what this person needs for them to learn their job? Is there anything about this environment that they're working in that is not conducive to their optimal performance? And I would go down my side of the fence, everything I can be responsible for. And if I knew full on that all of my boxes were checked and it still wasn't working out, then that might be a conversation to be had. But there was always something. Not that their performance was my fault. That's not what this is about. This is about me being responsible for my life. I have a business. This certain element of it isn't working as well as it could be. Where can I be responsible? And that was the approach I just little by little started to apply to everything in my life. The important thing, though, is the release of judgment around it. Okay, because when we first start thinking about this, the immediate thing is everything's my fault. I have to take the blame for everything. This is not about fault or blame. This is about a context that one can choose to live by so that they have the power to create their life how they want it to be. You've talked about gratitude in conversations and kind of the importance of that. I feel like that's kind of a, an interesting way to look at this as well in, in that lens where I've talked to some other people and talked about like the reframe of I get to versus I have to, like I have to go to work, I have to do these, I have to pay my taxes, right? Versus I get to, and then there's something there. And I can't remember who it was, but someone didn't like that reframe and that's fine, right? Like everyone has their own styles of different things. But I think that attitude of gratitude does help when you start to realize for most of us, how ridiculously fortunate we are compared to the vast millions of people around the world. Crazy, crazy. I actually had somebody point out to me that most of us here live better than 99.9% .9 of the princes and princesses that have ever existed on this earth. Yeah. Like we really, really do have it good, even when things aren't as ideal as we would like them to be. So I guess I could offer another reframe around what you were saying, the I get to and I have to. And I can see why certain people saying I get to reframes it as a privilege. And I can see why certain people would reject that because they're like, well, I don't want to pretend that this is a privilege. 
it's not a privilege. Like I don't get to pay my taxes. Like I have to, like I could see them thinking that. And other people might think, well, I get to, and I get to contribute and blah, blah, blah. And for them, they see that. One different reframe might be looking at it as in I have to, or I choose to. Because choosing to doesn't imply that you want to. It doesn't imply that you get to. And it doesn't even imply that you're happy about it. It just implies that you're choosing it. And in this case, so you don't get your house taken away or go to jail. But it's still a choice. And so when people say, I have to, that is, I have no choice. I'm stuck. I have no power. I'm a victim. When people say, I choose to, it is a reclaim of their power and it is a creating of their own life. So that's just something I can offer for those that the get to didn't work. Now, as far as gratitude is concerned, I love gratitude. There's multiple reasons. First of all, from an energetic perspective, gratitude is one of the, if not the, kind of close to love, highest vibrational frequency emotions. So it's a very high resonating energy. Low levels of energy and high levels of energy cannot coexist. When a person is in the space of gratitude, in that moment, even if it's a fraction of a second, they are not in the space of anger, resentment, guilt, depression, anxiety, etc. Those are much lower vibrational frequency emotions. They don't coexist. They can alternate. The more we can focus on gratitude, the more we can have that energy in our life, the higher energetic vibration we will experience. And so we will be more productive. We will feel better. We will be happier, less anxious, less stressed. It also presences us to like what you just alluded to, all that we have to be grateful for, even when it doesn't seem that way. And that's something that I often will talk to people who are really down in the dumps, like like people who are very depressed or just really having a hard time just pick something. Just be grateful for the fact that you're breathing. Be grateful that you have a roof over your head. Or if somebody doesn't have a roof over their head, be grateful that they have a shelter they can be. There's something that they can be grateful for. So when people can start to find those tiny, tiny little things, even in in when they're in despair or even when things seem so unbearable, and they start to cultivate that, Little by little by little, they can start to raise their energy. They can start to feel better. It becomes easier. And then all of a sudden, you start seeing it everywhere. I have my best friend from third grade, and she lives in Georgia. I'm in New Hampshire, and we use a video messaging app almost every single day. And we do our gratitudes. Sometimes we forget and we'll get caught up. We'll be driving and we're just talking while we're driving, and I'll just start saying what I'm grateful for. And things start popping into my mind that I wasn't even thinking about when I started. So it's extremely, extremely powerful. And always we end it like with a smile and feeling good, even if I started the message in a not great place. Do you think having someone to be able to talk about that with is helpful to like find that? I don't know. I think about like you go to some camp and you have like the buddy system or something. (laughs) Does that help like a forcing function to make sure that you think about it more versus if you try to do it yourself. And I know some people are probably really good at like meditation or journaling or different things. That's never been me. I've just never developed those habits, but does it help 
would you encourage it with the idea of gratitude with someone else like you've done with your friends? I think it's really what works for each individual person. So the benefit of having a gratitude partner or buddy per se is accountability. Everything in our lives, we have really great intentions, but without any form of accountability, oftentimes it doesn't happen. So I know with my friend, we don't hold each other accountable in the sense where we call each other out for not doing it, but it's almost like knowing that she's expecting it holds me accountable. For other people, that might not matter. Some people will do gratitude journals. Some people will, you know, just at night in bed before they go to sleep, they'll just say five things. I know married couples or partners that like when their heads hit the pillows before they say goodnight, they each say five things. I mean, there's so many different ways. I don't think there is a right or wrong or better way. I think that each person can find what works for them as long as they do it. For somebody who is really stuck or in a really dark place, they might not have that person that they, or they might not even have the energy to do it with another person. So if they can even just with themselves in a pen and paper or a notebook, write down five things a day, that can make a huge, huge difference in shifting their energy. If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? Of course, that's what makes veterinarians special. You're mission driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable, online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They want to help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they prioritize having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. Kind of shifting gears a little bit, I'm going to go back a little bit to the choice piece because I think one of the interesting things that you talked about, and I think about this all the time is that incentives drive the world, right? And so like, if we give ourselves the ability to make choices, like we're going to make the choices that the incentives align ultimately. And so I think there's some interesting kind of element and connection there. But the other idea with you think about choice and getting to a place of I can make decisions is commitments. And that was something that you've talked about as well. And so I wanted to make sure we talk about that a little bit. And so when we think about commitments, I think of well, let's just say it's from a financial lens. Like I have a commitment to pay my mortgage because I want to stay in this house, right? And so I'm going to make that choice. That's a commitment. I know I need to go generate revenue or generate something for myself, a business, whatever to get paid so that I can do that. But how do you think about helping people review the choice piece, the commitments piece? And then I guess we'll kind of add, you know, as we're talking about gratitude as well. Yeah, well, and that's really a good point that it is all really tied together. We don't experience choices, commitments, gratitudes as separate buckets, especially the more a person cultivates awareness and consciousness, the more all of that just kind of starts to meld into one. It just starts to become how you live, the energy from which you experience life. As I heard one person say, it goes from being your go-to to your come from, you know, it just starts to be who you are but we all get there. And so 
when we look at commitments, basically, we all have commitments that are running our lives. And very often they are in the background doing their little thing and we're not aware. So there are commitments we are aware of. For example, the ones you just mentioned, and I can say, you know, I'm very committed to my daughter. I'm committed to maintaining my home, like, like all the typical. It's the areas that we are stuck or not achieving what we want to achieve where the exploration of commitments can make a huge difference. If you're paying your mortgage and you're aware of that and you have your house, great. That's not something you're not achieving or a place you're stuck. That's something that's working very well for you. You don't need to explore your commitments around paying your mortgage. So when a person says, I really want to be achieving a goal, but I'm just not, if you want to know what you're committed to, look at what you're doing, period. It's really that simple. And obviously it's not really super simple because it takes diving and it takes cultivation of awareness, but that's what it comes down to. So we often think in terms of what we want to be committed to. We don't necessarily have the awareness to recognize what we actually are committed to. And once we can start to recognize that, again, awareness leads to choice. We can then say, oh, gee, wow, (laughs) I really don't want to be committed to that. And we can then start to shift our commitments. To go even a level deeper, the way I see it, there's a ton of work we can do around values. Our values actually are what give rise to our commitments. So very often when we have commitments that are not leading to what we want to achieve, and that's a problem, is because it's not in line with our values. An example I could give is one of the things that I struggled with as a practice owner, and I know that a lot of veterinarians do, is we have a very unique dynamic in a veterinary hospital compared to a lot of other businesses out there as far as interaction with employees. So especially when you're an owner and you're a small practice, and in the years before I had a manager, you're in this position of like, well, I'm not only your boss and I'm not only the doctor, I'm actually the owner of this business, but we're going to spend three hours nose to nose together doing a dentistry. And we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff and laugh and giggle and joke, right? So there almost starts to become this like friendship that happens, but yet I'm your boss and I'm the owner and I'm the doctor. And it's a very weird dynamic and certain personalities. And this was me, and this is just an example. I had a very strong desire to be liked. Like I wanted my employees to like me and I was very nice to them and I gave them what they needed and whatever. But there were times when that doesn't always work because you, as a manager and as an owner, you have to set boundaries and you have to not tolerate somebody being late six times or whatever. And those conversations were difficult for me. It was all great when I was coaching them and mentoring them and teaching them medicine. And, but when those tough conversations came around, I would have anxiety and it was awful, often leading me to avoid them, which never works. <laughs> it always circles back with a bigger problem. So I would avoid the conversations. And so what I had to finally realize, and this was when I started, you know, this is years ago and looking at these things, is I realized that my commitment to being liked was bigger than my commitment to my business. And when I realized that, it was just almost like a stab. I was like, 
oh my gosh, that was a tough nut for me to swallow. Cause I was like, oh no, no, I'm committed to my business. Oh, my business is so important, blah, 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 blah. But then a little voice in my head said, yeah, as long as you're like, your commitment to being liked is more important. And so once I realized that, then I was able to say, that's not what I want to be committed to. That's not healthy. And I was able to shift my focus. It doesn't mean I wasn't still committed to being nice to people. It just allowed me to maybe have some tough conversations I needed to have. Yeah. Well, and I think humans in general, everyone wants to be liked. And I know we chatted on this a little bit where there's certain types of people that need that external validation much more than others. And it's hard to change that because I think everyone is lying if they say they, they don't care if they're liked. I just think it matters more to some than others from that standpoint. So that's hard. And that is a really good example on the commitment piece. And yeah, hard to face that and say, hmm, all right, well, I know what I need to do. But again, knowing and doing are two different things. Lots of people know the right thing to do. And that's, again, where, again, talk about choices. When people make the choice to start down a path of self-exploration and discovery about themselves, that's where they can start to uncover these things. It's very difficult to see these things yourself. One of my favorite longtime coaches that I've worked with for years, he would always say to me, Jen, you can't see your own eyebrows. And I love that saying because it's true. Like we don't know what we don't know. And we can't always, you know, you can say, well, I want to find my hidden commitments. Well, there's a reason they're called hidden. <laughs> they're not obvious. And so it takes an exploration. It takes questions. It takes a dive and a long process to uncover a lot of this stuff. But it's well worth it because otherwise, whatever's not working in your life now and you're frustrated, what's going to change in 10 years? Is a magic wand going to come by and just zap everything into place in your life? It doesn't work that way. It's the same idea, I guess, with satisfaction at times where like when I get this goal, I'll be happy. And then we just move the goalposts all the time. Right. It's similar almost in the reverse that like, oh, it'll get better, but I'm not going to change. It's like, well, if someone else told you that you tell them, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but right. we can justify it in our own minds because we're somehow special and different. Right. And that's why a lot of people spend their entire lives chasing happiness or even worse, not even bothering. They just resign themselves to the fact of like, I just cannot be happy. It's just not for me. Yeah. And that focus on the dangling carrot, so to speak, that we chase. Once I get the partner, once I get the house, well, once I get us, once I get the job, once I, I'm not new anymore. Well, once, once in 50 years later, you're still, well, once I waiting to be happy, there's that. And then as you mentioned, that external validation, that's a whole nother realm. I won't go into detail right now, but like just that anytime we're focused on needing external validation, it's never going to lead to anything because first of all, when we get it, we ignore it anyway. I mean, as evidenced by how upset, you know, we get that jerky client who bashes us and we're so upset and I'm too, but we had 50 clients before that who thanked us and told us how great we were. And we're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that. But this one client didn't like me. All of the external validation in the world doesn't make a difference if we don't get it from within. You made a comment about generational conversations in veterinary medicine, and I noted it and I'm not exactly sure where to take it. So I'm just going to leave it there and let you run with it. Yeah. We were talking a little bit about the profession 
And this is an idea that came to me, I don't know, I'd say maybe 15 years ago. And I think now more than ever, there are really big movements and strides being made in this profession to start to shift things. Thank goodness, because the profession is broken. It's not working. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked for years. And some of this, to me, comes from like what you just said, these generational conversations. So when we look at cultures and communities, and whether it's a culture such as the Jewish people or a certain nationality or a race or whatever culture or subdenomination of anything you can identify, there are conversations. And by that, I mean beliefs, stories, paradigms, contexts that are passed down. Okay. And we, inside of one of these cultures or subcultures, just subscribe to it subconsciously and is how it is, right? And veterinary medicine is no different. Veterinary medicine is a culture. It is a community. And years ago, I had done a lot of thinking about the conversations around money in this profession. And I had written a bunch of stuff probably about 10 years ago that I still have, never did anything with it, just around the money conversation. Because as a practice owner and somebody who's really focused on being liked, it was not a good conversation for charging what I needed to charge, <laughs> a combination for charging what I needed to charge for my services, right? So if a combination of I'm in this profession that is devalued financially, where there's talks and beliefs around you're bad or wrong if you actually make a living and you have to justify it. Even now I see on Facebook, people talking on some of the Facebook groups and they're much more open about it now than they used to be, but they're still justifying and they need to because they're getting criticized for earning a living. So I would think about where did this all come from? I remember back when I was in vet school and, you know, little groups of clubs or whoever would make t-shirts and then they would sell these t-shirts as a fundraiser. And I don't remember the specifics of this particular t-shirt that for some reason resonates in my mind, but it was like the top 10 reasons I didn't become a real doctor. And it was like, because, you know, I don't want to make any money because I love expressing anal glands. And it was, it was all these kind of sarcastic things. And it was funny and people bought it and we wore it. But years later, as I pondered that t-shirt, you know, and I looked back, I'm like, how funny really were some of those things? We accepted these paradigms and these ideas as just truths to the point where we could just laugh about it. When really very many of these thoughts and ideas, not on the t-shirt, but just in general, were things that held us back way, 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 way back. And of course I wasn't around, but you know, when there was a veterinarian who went to a farm and saw all the cows and the sheep and the dogs and the cats, and he maybe had three drugs to choose from and it was different. And back then probably started this idea that the veterinarian didn't really make any money. The veterinarian really shouldn't because the animals need help. And over time, it just this evolved into this culture that we're now in, where there's these rules. And I think it's great that some of these things are starting to be challenged, not just around money, but around lifestyle. I know vets older than me, and they, they look at some of the newer graduates. And again, they're not wrong. This is just how they were raised in this profession. But they're like, who do these new grads think they are? They don't want to work 70 hours a week. 
they should have seen it in my day. Like to them, that's how it should be. Like these are the conversations being passed down. And now finally people are starting to say, whoa, no. And I think part of the reason this profession is in such turmoil right now is that a lot of these generational conversations are starting to be challenged. And whenever things start getting broken down, old ways of doing things start to go away, newer ideas start to come in, there's resistance, there's, but we, you know, it does one of these like a, a fight. And then in the end, it settles down with something new. And so what I'm hoping, if we looked forward five years from now, that we will see that something new has settled. The whole corporatization of the profession, regardless of anybody's opinions on it, it is what it is. It's here. You know, what is that going to play out as? What is this going to look like? So that's what I meant by, by generational conversations is these paradigms and these contexts that we've just accepted as truths and that they're starting to shift. Yeah, that's incredible. I've never heard someone talk about it. And I don't know what episode this will be. It's close to 200, right? I've had 200 conversations and I don't think anyone's articulated that quite the same way. It makes me think of a quote that someone told me that change happens one funeral at a time or innovation happened. I want to reframe that to retirement, right? So maybe yeah. it is in veterinary medicine that the innovation and change happens one retirement at a time so that you have this change of the stories and things where someone's going to say, hey, it's like if you've ever seen all the matches lined up and then the one match gets pulled and they're like, you know, it doesn't have to keep burning or whatever. Like it's the same thing right there. Like one person or one group or one generation of veterinarians within vet med are just going to say, mm, nope, it just kind of like this just stops here. Yeah. And that is, yeah, really good. I think there's a double whammy going on here because when we look at arguably really anything in, in a society, our society or any society, you have the changing of the guards from one generation to the next, so to speak. And every generation always thinks that the next generation is irresponsible and is never going to ruin everything. <laughs> they're going to ruin everything, right? You know, every generation. But so you have that, right? Like you have the older people who have their ideas and the middle-aged people who have their ideas and the younger people who have their ideas and that passing of the guard. But now you've brought into the mix this whole corporatization, which has just changed everything. So the change inside the profession is not just a shift in age and generation, like would normally happen in a profession or a society, but it's a complete shift in the way things are run, the way people are paid, the way people are employed, loyalty. People aren't at practices for 30 years anymore. Like it's just everything is different. And it's not necessarily bad. It's just different and it's going to have to work its way. But the profession cannot cease to exist. Like that's just not an option. And not because I don't want it to be an option, but because it just can't not exist, right? Like animals need care. So one way or another, it will continue. And this is based on no truth. It's just based on how my mind sees it happening is all of the turmoil that's happening right now, ultimately the people, the businesses, the corporations that do it, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, do it right, because there really is no right, but the ones who just have the foresight to take care of their people, to treat people nicely, to give their management leadership training so that they create what I like to call anabolic atmospheres, uplifting. People might say positive, negative. I don't use that term. And like welcoming environments where people can thrive versus catabolic, critical, fighting, toxicity. The ones who figure that out, 
are going to be successful. That's where people will want to work, especially with staff shortages. That's the rate limiting step for generating income, right? So if you can figure it out, how to actually, not just from words, but actually treat people right and have them want to work for you and be engaged, those are the companies that are going to be successful. And even if it's still all about money, well, when we treat people this way, we make more money. We have more employees. We have doctors. And then the other ones will either fail or they'll start to peek over and say, what are they doing? Huh? Maybe we should start making some changes. Yeah. And that's how I see it going because I just don't, and in a good way, I don't see the younger generations tolerating what has been going on in this profession. Yeah. Super well put. What haven't we talked about that's on your heart or mind? Well, if I were to think of one last idea that I would like to leave people with, something that is very simple, but can make a really big difference. If they're at a place in life where they are facing a decision, okay? And I wrote one of my blog articles on my website is about this as well. It's, it's and versus or. And you and I talked about that a little bit. We are brought up in the world of or. And when we are faced with decisions, that is our, our usually our automatic go-to. I can have this or I can have that. Okay. I can be happy or I can stay in this job. I can work out and be healthy and go to the gym, or I can spend time with my family. There's so many things. I can have this dog or I can find an apartment to live in. And people oftentimes are in quandaries, right? Like, what do I do? Like, I want to work out, but then I'm not with my children or I'm not going to give up my dog. I need, and, and we're very often stuck and it's, we're disempowered and we don't know what to do because either way, it's a lose-lose. Either I have to give up my dog or I have to give up having an apartment to live in or either give up my health or I give up time with my children, right? So we create for ourselves a lose-lose situation. And sometimes if we open our minds that there could be possibility other than what is readily apparent, there could be other ways that we can think outside the box. And so I like to change the word or for the word and. It's very simple. And you might not even know how. Don't worry about the how. The how is not what to focus on. The how will come. Ignore the how. Just make the declaration. I can work out and be healthy and spend time with my family. Hmm. Okay. What does that look like? I can have a dog and find an apartment. That's what's going to happen. I don't know where, but that's what's going to happen. So it all starts again. It all circles back to choice, really. But creating a declaration and getting rid of the or creating the and right there creates a, a relief. And then it's just a matter of, okay, what's step one? What do I need to do? I can do this. I can make these phone calls. I can, okay, how do I rearrange the schedule? When can I go to the gym? Maybe I get up an hour earlier and my partner does this and this so that I go to the gym, then I'm home. And there's so many things that can be created. But first we have to get out of the mindset that we have to sacrifice and create that we can pretty much have it all in the proverbially. So that's, I guess, my last idea that I just want to share with people is if they find themselves being like, oh, I don't know what to do. I can do this or I can do that. And uh, just put the word and in there, say it out loud and just start with seeing how it feels. They'll probably it's... have a 
smile. Yeah. <laughs> so interesting because I've had something way too long of a story, but someone kind of said, why not do that as well? And kind of the and versus the or, and it was like, hmm, probably could do that. And it ended up that made way more sense, like in other conversations. So fascinating to hear that again. I do let all guests ask me a question, so I can't skip that. If you have something, no pressure. There's been lots of different questions on the podcast, but if you have anything and you want to ask, nothing's off limits, throw it my way, and then we'll kind of close from there. Well, I was curious. So you said you've had 200 episodes, said? Or it, it'll be close. We won't quite be okay. 200, um, okay. but it'll be really close. So around yeah. there, okay? And you often talk on topics you know, that are somewhat serious, like real estate and finance and, and whatnot. So my question is, what is the funniest podcast episode you've had? I don't even know what number it would be. That's such a hard one. I just think when people have, like you talked about energy earlier, if people like have a lot of energy and they get excited about something, you can tell like just this podcast hasn't always had video to it. It does now, right? Which is great. But before it's always been audio and you can feel it listening to someone when they're like hyped up about something and you can tell energy levels. And so for me, there have been times where, yeah, I've had laughs and it's just the energy with that person. I don't know if it's necessarily that they said something extremely funny. Like the first one I can think of is like someone asked me if I had any tattoos. And it's like, that was such a random, like end of the podcast episode where I was like, I laughed. I was like, what? It's just like so out of like, not where I thought they were going to come from. But I don't know if I would say that's like the funniest thing, but that's like the initial spot that I go to. I think it's, for me, it's really been cool within veterinary medicine to see the amount of energy and that just makes it so much more enjoyable and fun. I've had a couple of episodes where I think the energy for someone has been lower and it's been like, oh, it's kind of hard to like get them to engage as much in a podcast that if I'm a little bored with it, sure as hell going to be everyone listening. It's going to be like, I don't know if this is enjoyable. And, and I think those are super rare, but I've had them happen, right? If you do that many, you're going to have that. So I guess that's a non-answer because I just, I don't know exactly. I can't think the tattoo one is the one that sticks out, but I don't know if that's truly the right answer, but that's the one that makes me think of. So okay. yeah, good question though. For folks that are listening, you talked about your blog, you do some videos. Where's a good handoff? How do people get connected to you? Let them know those steps. And I'll link to everything in show notes that you can send all that stuff over to. Absolutely. So one great place to start is my website, which is very simple, drjenniferedwards.com. And on the website is my blog. There are many articles in there that I've written. I write them periodically and I email them to my community and then I repost them as blog posts on there. I also, at the bottom of the website, there's a link to my YouTube channel. And there's many videos there where I talk about lots of the similar topics to what we talked about today and many others as well. I also would invite everybody to download my ebook. It's free. If you go to my website right at the bottom of the page, you could just write your name and email address. And the ebook is about happiness and its strategies to rediscover joy and happiness in your life and career. But one of the things I really love about that book is it's not just about, well, you can do this, this, and this, and you can be more happy, like, great. But I go into a lot of detail about happiness as a context and what, what does it really mean? Like everybody says, choose happy. And we can have a t-shirt that says, choose happy. Like, great. And what does that mean? And so I explain what that actually means and that it doesn't mean that you're 
happy all the time. And it doesn't mean that when you're sad, you just snap your fingers and I'm supposed to just choose to be happy right now. Like what? Like, no, it's not about being fake or not having emotions, but about a context. And so I go into that. There's also a happiness journal page in there. So I invite everybody to download that. And by doing that, they will also join my email community and get those articles that I write. There's a contact form. My email address is jennifer at drjenniferedwards.com. So those are the ways. Perfect. Thank you for the time today. Really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, this was great. Yeah, thank you. All right. So there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. It's appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes in the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure. Far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing, small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time, ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients and clients in outdoor woman's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through, and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos. Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available to practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you, full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there, so no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered, and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic, so type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital, personable, small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five-doctor mixed animal practice in northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, a hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on-call, 24-hour ER, less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95,000. Can be straight salary, pro-sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to watertownpetcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out. Let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know. And we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon.